back in the motherland in Moscow, Idaho. This is Camp Street Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 62, BLM, Commies, and Commitment. To so bang precious seed in his hand, hoping and hope that he might see it grow. As usual, the all-safe freak band bring us in with the sower. Even though I have not been doing much sowing in the land, I've been in Southern California for the past week, but I am now back up in Moscow, Idaho, where I'll be here probably until the end of June. Then I've got to make a little East Coast swing during the month of July, um, hopefully get through North Carolina and South Carolina, Atlanta, Alabama, Florida. So if you're anywhere in those areas, uh, let me know, and maybe we can meet up during that time. It's going to be Raleigh, North Carolina, Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina, uh, Athens, Georgia, Dothan, Alabama, and then uh, Punta Gorda, Florida is where I'll be. And so any if you're anywhere along that route, feel free to reach out to me. And that's going to be the months of July, Then I'll probably be back up in Moscow during the month of August, Lord willing, we have Grace Agenda and a few other things going on. And thinking of things going on, we do have the Fight, Laugh, Feast Conference October 1st through the 3rd in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And so if you become a member of the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network on by September the 1st, uh, you'll get a, I think, half-off registration. I don't know if it's a half-off or $100 off how they build it, but I think it's $200. So either way, it's $100 uh, registration. And that's going to be fantastic. And as I've been looking at kind of the madness over the past week. Um, I think the conference is a good thing, and I think it will help orient us in a dizzying world and kind of where to go, uh, because they are very confusing times. And I realize I'm kind of jumping ship of the game plan to uh, discuss conspiracy theories once again, because we actually had uh, uh, some news on COVID and uh, the use of of information by who and stuff like that. And so it would have been kind of good playing into the hands of kind of con- some conspiracy theories. Um, but what I, in light of the past week, what I wanted to do was uh, discuss another issue because I saw quite a few things that have popped up. And uh, just a friend on the Facebook, we were emailing back and forth and they ended up asking, they said, fun question, if you were leading uh, the charge of the Reformed Church in America at this time, how would you have the church regroup and advance? And so I'm going to spend this episode and maybe next week uh, a couple episodes on where I think we need to go because one of the things that I'm realizing right now as I look at the landscape is you have groups of men who are slightly left of center but still kind of classically liberal. And a guy who kind of represents that is a guy named James Lindsay. If you've ever heard of him, if not, Google him. Uh, he's a pretty interesting guy because he does a lot with critical race theory and critical theory stuff because he was an atheist who kind of saw the new atheist movement get ripped apart by identity politics and intersectionality and all that sort of stuff. So he's kind of been on the rampage against that for uh, several years, but it's really picked up and he kind of sees uh, what's going on with Black Lives Matter. And I want to distinguish, I saw, I think it may have been James distinguishing kind of capitalized Black Lives Matter. It's almost like a new political party and a, and a explicit movement opposed to, say, just a general hashtag Black Lives Matter. They're now intertwined, and kind of the BLM political party is kind of the pretext for everything else that's going on. And so it's almost like uh, uh, Mr. Floyd is kind of the Trojan horse to push an entire agenda and everything else. And so I, I, I think... What we do need to do is realize that this is a fundamentally religious movement, and it's fascinating to me of how many Christians and pastors 
who are out marching and acquiescing. And last week I used Eugene Peterson's uh, kind of the transcendence of crowds, and I think that plays in. And what I saw last week, though, was now they're including the confession of sin and washing of feet and things that are, you know, for, for a group that rails against cultural appropriation, uh, that they're basically appropriating uh, the gospel. And, and the reality of it is, um, and I know I've read it on this podcast before, but there's a guy named R.J. Rushdoony. And if you were to Google uh, Society of Satan, R.J. Rushdoony PDF, uh, the opening paragraph of that is just central, I believe, to what's going on. And what you have is a society of Satan at work. And what they're doing is mimicking the gospel. They're mimicking reconciliation. And it's humanism down at its core. And it's, it is an attempt in some regard to reconcile humanity because you, in, in the humanist head, uh, and even in the Christian head, for the Christian, we can't have division in the Godhead. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yes, the Father's not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, uh, but they're in perfect unity, um, three and one in perfect unity. And so the humanist has man as God, and in some ways you can't have division in the Godhead. So they got to bring all of us together. And it's, you know, so it's kind of a false reconciliation. So as Christians, we can look at Galatians 3 and realize that in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, and he's kind of bringing the nations together under the lordship of Jesus. Um, but the humanists kind of have their, the UN and this uh, attempt at reconciliation outside the gospel um, is fundamentally uh, religious in nature. And if you're paying any attention to some of the language and some of the rhetoric, uh, I believe that will become more plain. So what so in answering the question, uh, what would I do to regroup? The first thing I would do is, in some ways, look at uh, Black Lives Matter, look at communists, and call us as a church uh, to a greater commitment. And the hard part is this. The reality of it is Christianity is real life, and it's a marathon. It's not revolutionary. I know that many of us can fall into revivalism and kind of wanting these immediate emotional hyper states. And I think that's where we're kind of at a little bit of a disadvantage um, because if you're married, uh, you know, you might have a very exciting honeymoon and stuff like that. But then the reality of kids and bills and everything that comes in, it's not just one hot, passionate, uh, for most people, uh, 60 years or however long you're going to be married. So I think it's easier to get hyped up uh, for a short season on political movements and political causes, especially when there's uh, kind of things bubbling underneath it. And so, but as I was reading stuff from Black Lives Matter, so for example, I was in Los Angeles and I came out of my apartment building and there's a, there's a construction site next door and they have a fence wrapped around a construction site with a, a black tarp. And the other morning I came out and on the black tarp, it says, those who are not for us are against us, dash BLM. And so it was basically uh, building off of Jesus' language, those who are not for me are against me. And you realize that um, even that, they're, they're just taking Jesus' words and putting it now into the context of Black Lives Matter. And then when you're seeing people wash feet and people confess sins and cry and everything else, but where it stood out to me a little bit more, which I think is kind of interesting, which is, again, I, I believe in some extent, uh, adopting uh, language from Jesus. And unfortunately, I went to go back and get this article out of the New York Times, uh, but it, it was last Friday, I believe, in the New York Times. And uh, it was basically a guy saying, we don't want your hashtags, and we don't want your text messages, and we don't want uh, your emails, uh, but what we want is sacrifice. And so here's uh, one section that I, I ended up uh, kind of screen saving, and he says this, so please stop sending hashtag love, stop sending positive vibes, stop sending your thoughts, 
and realize kind of, you know, thoughts and prayers, you know, he didn't use prayers, but stopped giving us your thoughts and your positive vibes. So he couldn't even bring himself to mentioning prayers there. Uh, here are three suggestions on more immediately impactful things to offer instead. He says, give money to funds that pay legal fees for black people who are unjustly arrested, imprisoned, or killed, or to black politicians running for office. Um, uh, Given the current climate, I, I'm not sure if he thinks everybody is unjustly arrested. I'm not sure how you discern that right off the bat and who to give money to. And then, of course, black politicians running for office. Um, then he goes on to say, text uh, to your – so he wants you to do this. Text to your relatives and loved ones telling them you will not be visiting them or answering phone calls until they take significant actions in supporting black lives, either through protest or or financial contributions. So he's basically saying, cut off your mother, father, cut off sister, brother. Uh, so in Matthew 10, when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you hate your father, mother, sister, brother, um, you know, yay, unless you hate your own life, you cannot be my disciple. And so he's basically saying, you know, cut off your family um, and until either through protest or financial contributions. And so you're, you know, calling your family to action. If they don't join, uh, you will not be taking their phone calls or visiting them. And he goes on to say, protection to fellow black protesters who are at greater risk of harm during demonstrations. And he says, yes, these actions may seem grave, but you insist that you love me, and love requires sacrifice. Text messages are unlimited on most data plans. Emojis are not sacrificial. Um, so t take up his words there. Yes, these actions may seem grave, but you insist that you love me, and love requires sacrifice. And so uh, I remember when I was first converted back in 1993, actually, and the the laying down my life for Jesus just seems so evident and clear, and it's kind of all you want to do. What do I have to do to sacrifice? And part of it's also age. I was uh, 18 years old, and as an 18-year-old man, and I think even a lot of the political action is appealing to college students who can be idealistic and everything else, um, but the idea of sacrifice uh, seemed great, and I wanted, I was willing to get up at five and pray and uh, you know, or I'd try to, <laughs> I'd often go through seasons where I'd want to do that, get up early in prayers, uh, get up late at prayer. And I felt like I need to be praying several hours a day and stuff like that. Then you start to mature and some of it you realize is youthful zeal and not always according to knowledge. Um, but one of the things that stood out to me at that time and even stood out to this day was, um, and I think it all ties into BLM, the communists, uh, kind of the title of this is the communists, which I think BLM basically is. Uh, have been people throughout history who, in some regards, I do think some of them do want a better world. Some of them are resentful and bitter and everything else. Um, but what you see is that many of them are willing to commit themselves wholly to being a communist. And I'm going to read something here that supposedly uh, Billy Graham originally read at a um, some sort of conference uh, back in, I believe, the 60s, and I haven't been able to find an original source. It's always been sourced in Christian material, and I first came across this by Keith Green, if you know who he is. If you don't uh, read No Compromise, I'd be curious if I went back and revisited how much I would enjoy it today, but in my when I was 19 years old, that was a pretty instrumental uh, biography, and Keith Green was very zealous. He was a guy who had a house in Southern California, and uh, it's just he and his wife read uh, Entertain Strangers for you might be entertaining angels unaware. And so they just went out to the streets of California and began to invite people in. Eventually they had seven houses in this neighborhood where they were housing people. And his zeal and being willing to do those things and give up comforts uh, for the sake of evangelism and for the sake of the kingdom uh, were always very appealing to me. And I remember coming across uh, this in one of his tracks that he had. And again, like I said, it's originally... Uh, from Billy Graham, and I can't source it, so I don't. 
I'm hoping it's not apocryphal. Uh, I assume Billy Graham's telling the truth in some regard, but but here's what it said, and it was a letter from a communist who was breaking off his engagement uh, because he joined the Communist Party, and he ends up saying this. He says, we communists have a high casualty rate. We are the ones who get shot and hung and ridiculed and fired from our jobs and in every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed or imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists do not have the time or the money for many movies or concerts or T-bone steaks or decent homes or new cars. We've been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by our our great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. We have a philosophy of life which no amount of money could buy. We have a cause to fight for, to definite purpose in life. We subordinate our petty personal selves into a great movement of humanity. And if our personal selves seem hard or our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the party, then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each of us, in his own small way, is contributing to something new and true and better for mankind. There is one thing in which I am dead earnest about, and it is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my bread, and meat. I work at it in the daytime and dream of it at night. It holds me and uh, it holds on its hold on me grows, not lessens as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating it to this fourth which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people's looks, ideas, and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and their attitude towards it. I've already been in jail because of my ideals, and if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. And so if you take a young man, again, you take a young guy, it's easy to be zealous um, and be you know, breaking off engagements and who knows where this man's life ended up. And so if going back to the question of how would I regroup uh, and part of it uh, next week, I think we'll look at the holiness of God. I'm going to defer a little bit on some of the revolutionary things because uh, I'll explain next week. I think holiness is something that we need to touch on. But one of the things, those of you who are listening to this is begin to count the costs. Uh, one of the good things here in Moscow is that there is a good Christian community. And if you can, I used to maybe be adamantly against an idea like this. And if you are in an area that's reasonable to move and be near a church community and have a little bit more of a community, if you're not already immersed in a pretty good Christian community, um, to try to begin to orient your life and the life of your church in a way that you are a loving, vibrant community around one another. And I do think that's part of counting the costs. I don't think um, you want to move to Moscow. Uh, uh, I don't think it's feasible for a lot of people. Um, But in the areas that you are, I would begin to look at something like that. I was actually in a discussion with some friends of mine, uh, and one of the guys was contemplating, like, you know, where do I move? Where do I go? And I do think the idea of uh, smaller towns – um, I was actually messaging some friends in Bozeman, Montana is one of them, Moscow, Idaho, uh, Bend, Oregon, uh, San Luis Obispo, places like that where um, some of them are pretty expensive, but you can kind of have a community life in a way. And I, I do think, so here, here's my point of all this, is that we do need to more substantially count the costs. And I do think someone like the Black Lives Matter calling people to commitment to something bigger, um, I think is appealing to a lot of people, especially when their lives have been largely empty um, and, you know, playing video games and wasting their life on pornography and 
whatever else on the internet, and now all of a sudden they have this great cause that they can devote themselves to. And we have the living God and the gospel and the kingdom of God um, that we are uh, to be out preaching and teaching to other people. So I, uh, so when I, I think of the church regrouping, um, I think one of the things that we need to do is regroup and be a church that is separate from the world, that is called out. And and the, the hard part is, in, in me stating that, is I realize for many people it's going to conjure up different images. Um, and so I don't want to tell you what to do necessarily, but if I'm sitting there in a community with a, uh, as a pastor of a church, I'm, I'm trying to orient everybody around the kingdom of God, especially at a time when you have a very clear, decisive, alternative religion on the rise that I do think given the French Revolution, given the Bolshevik Revolution, that I think is ultimately, um, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe it'll die out, um, but I feel like the the hard left is gaining momentum. And so as a church, we need people who are committed to one another, uh, have the baptism bind us more thoroughly to people who are in the church. And so as I was considering this communist and I was reading some of the stuff from Black Lives Matter, I'm realizing more and more um, the depth of their religious commitment to it and how often as the church we're not calling people to greater things. We want people to just, you know, invite Jesus into your heart, try to get your uh, marriage a little better and get these things a little better in your life. Um, but people are not counting the costs. And so the first thing I would do if I was in any sort of charge of the Reformed Church is I would sit down with everybody in my church, um, kind of like, like a football team, very beginning of the season, where do you guys want to go? Uh, count the cost. If we're going to be great, uh, if we're going to do, you know, do great things, uh, we have to count the costs. Now, that may not look like victory in the short term, uh, but long term, um, I, I think we'll begin to uh, break up the fallow ground and begin to plant seeds that will bear much fruit. So as you guys listen to this, um, begin to count the cost uh, with regards to how you're currently living your life and talk to the people in your church of how you guys can begin to reorient your lives where you are a vibrant community in wherever you are. Um, so I don't think the answer is like, run out to, uh, you know, separate from the world, become a desert father type of thing. Um, but counting the cost in your community where you will give sacrificially to those who are in need, where you can love and meet the stranger and a sojourner and consider something like Keith Green, who has taken in strangers unaware. And how can we as a community do that? And one of the things I hope to do here in Moscow, uh, most likely in Moscow, is buy a home where we can begin to do that as well as disciple uh, people. And I, I think uh, the church can kind of do something along those lines uh, wherever you are. So uh, what's the beginning answer to the question uh, is us counting the costs. And you look at what the communists are willing to do. You look at what Black Lives Matter is calling people to do to forsake family and friends and homes and everything else, uh, you know, uh, cut off mom and dad uh, in order to support Black Lives Matter because that's what love is and love is sacrificial. Uh, you know, put that in the context of Jesus. Uh, the difference is going to be Christianity is long-term, it's life, it's covenantal, and it's not a political cause that will flare up for a brief season and then ultimately uh, turn sour, because that's what the politics is going to do. It's ultimately going to turn sour. It's not going to provide the change and the revolution that they're hoping. It might give some death for a brief season, might give some strands of revivalism in a sense that people get hyped up and, oh, yeah, we're going to end all this and we're going to listen, and ultimately it's going to be a, a dead work. So uh, point one count the costs. Uh, that's this episode of the Campus Church Podcast. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to reach out to me, Campus Evangel, on the Twitter, Campus Preacher on Instagram, Keith Darrell on the Facebook, Keith at CampusPreacher.com if you want to email me. Lord bless you. Keep you. Talk to you next week. Hoping and hope that he might see it grow. 
might well come before the bloom. He runs on his way, there's no time to be going slow. Hurry, take what you've got, do with it what you can. Cause the good God in heaven needs us, so we're in the land.